like the Marvel Universe might give us Easter eggs, I think this movie has many, like, medieval literature um, Easter uh-huh. eggs. <laughs> it's like fan service for the, for the medievalists. <laughs> Fantastic. There we are. Hello. Here we find ourselves today. And here we are today. Thank you for being Thank here you today. Thank you for being here today. Yes, Princess Diaries. Yes. Have you heard the rumors, the rumblings of a third Princess Diaries movie? I thought, but... What did she's she moved to New York City and worked in Devil Wears Prada? What would the movie? Oh, that's be? right. She worked for she worked for Runway Magazine. Yeah. <laughs> I, haven't we done it? No. Unless it's like her daughter or something. Me? I mean, I don't know. There's it's just rumors right now. But apparently, Anne Hathaway is in if they if they're gonna do something. See, this is when Judgy Aaron gets in the way, because that exhausts me. The idea of a third one. Like, we we did it. It's done. We're done. Mm, I would 100% watch a third Princess Diaries movie. I mean, would I watch it? Of course I would. (laughs) But I just... Interesting. What if she, so she's like the queen of Genovia now, so it'd be like the Queen Diaries. The Queen Diaries are like, I don't know. I I would normally discourage anything that would like, you know, idealize or romanticize uh, monarchy. But like, yes, I mean it's Princess Diaries. <laughs> maybe mean, she would. Maybe the plot of the third movie would be that they decide to dismantle the Genovian monarchy, I mean, and yeah, and go to like one hundred percent democratic. Yeah. <laughs> Rule. Instead of V is uh, yeah. V is for vendetta, it could be G is for Genovia and G they just dismantle it all. Yeah. They just yeah. burn it to the ground. Love it. I mean that I would watch for sure. I w- yes, I would be so on board with that. Um, I very much doubt that's what they would do though. Uh- <laughs> that would be so funny if it was done by like an indie producer and like <laughs> Well, I mean it's 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 Disney, right? Like it's yeah. It- yeah, so, like, no, Disney's not going to do that. What I don't understand, <laughs> so it's the nostalgia thing, right? Like, they're trying to get people our age to continually buy Disney+, Plus, right? But, yep. like, do kids care? No. I don't, yeah. So they're no. just trying to kind of do, like, the, the... kids. Kids are watching, like, I don't know, the, the Bluey thing. That's whatever. exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. <laughs> Which is actually kind of delightful. <laughs> I've never seen it, but my enough of my young friends are into it that I would assume it has some merit somewhere. Yeah. There's And the ever present looming uh menace of Paw Patrol. Freaking Paw Patrol. Let me tell you what. I'm just <sighs> I don't see the educational value. They're not even no. like, they're not even it's cute. It's propaganda for kids. It is. They're not even cute. It's like, it's all that weird CGI stuff that doesn't look good at all. I don't get it, but all my kids are like, oh my gosh. 
One kid said yeah. to me this week, I need my Marshall time. Oh, no. <laughs> and I laughed and laughed and laughed. Oh, and my gosh. they were dead serious. And they were like, I need my Marshall time. And I was like, yikes. <laughs> that's, okay. That's discouraging. This is upsetting. <laughs> this, the current state of affairs. <laughs> upsetting. Oh, <sighs> so yeah. can I, uh, can I as- uh, rightly assume that you have not been watching Paw Patrol? No. But what have you been watching? I oh, mean, this is Pop DNA, by the way. Hi. Hello. Hi. It's Pop DNA. What are um, you watching? What am I watching? <laughs> I I rewatched Little Miss Sunshine. She's <gasps> one of my oh faves. So good. Forever. Uh I I continue to need a good cry. <laughs> like, the cast in that movie. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? So good. And like, and how just how it's no one's fault. Everyone is in the wrong. Like no one except little baby Olive. Abigail Breslin. Yeah. Everyone else is kind of like messing up somehow. Yeah. Like even when I was a kid, you know, or not, I didn't watch that as a child. But when I was a teenager, I was like so opposed to the dad and while i still disagree with him sometimes i think it does like greg kinnear does such a good job of showing Mm. that he's also just trying and he's wrong but he's just trying to do the best he can like man that's a good and greg kinnear was great on er he was on er no (laughs) (laughs) that was like that was Leslie when she's like, should, oh yeah, should, uh, and the the Last Supper of like famous people from Indiana that Donna makes for the mural, and Leslie's like, well, Greg Kinnear was great on ER, but should he be Jesus? <laughs> oh, I remember that episode. Yeah, <laughs> I've also continued my Parks and Rec rewatch. Nice, and obviously, as as we've stated, The Last of Us and Abbott Elementary. Are- yes always um as always i've been listening to a lot of podcasts too i've been listening to critical role a whole lot Mm. um my little my little four hour respite oh you know (laughs) what we also we were watching um chainsaw man which is a really wonderful anime which is really cool okay i was i was thinking like texas chainsaw massacre (laughs) see i was like oh no oh oh, no (laughs) oh no Chainsaw Man is about like a a demon who oh um, nice kind of has has part of him that is a chainsaw. Uh it's it's very very cool. Is it a hand? It's his it comes out of his face. Oh. It's really It's really really cool. It's very like this is going to sound, I'm judging myself for saying this, but it's actually like really intellectual and, and interesting. And, <laughs> um, and I really, really like it's, it. I like it, but I, I can't do it justice talking about it. I think uh-huh. yeah. If for anyone who that sounds like something they'd be into, just go <laughs> ahead and watch it. <laughs> a man with a chainsaw coming out of his face. Who like, because he's a demon, he doesn't 
no social cues and he doesn't know like and he's 17 and he just doesn't he's like awkward and so it's exploring all that stuff too like he's it's like how do I do anything um because not many people talk to you it turns out when you're oh sure when you're a little bit demonic so you have a chainsaw coming out of your face it makes it makes I mean I I understand not wanting to like stand too close to yeah, a person. <laughs> it would make like an OK Cupid scenario kind of mm. difficult. Yeah, like basic about me, you know, male seventeen has chainsaw coming out of face half the time. Right. You I know, don't think you can sign up for OK Cupid if you're under eighteen. But I mean, oh, that's, that's... true. <laughs> yeah, so it's not even the chainsaw that's holding him back. It's just no. his age. <laughs> Yeah. What about you, Rhonda? What have you been watching? Uh, what have I been watching? So I have, uh, on the days that I work from home, I've been having Superstore on in the background. Uh-huh. Just because it's like a comforting presence. Yeah. <laughs> just constant, like, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about, uh, I, for some reason the other day, I was thinking about, like, that time that we ended up spending like 20 minutes talking about this is us and like neither of us has ever watched <laughs> this is us uh-huh. because of <laughs> the scene in superstore it's like a break room meeting scene <laughs> and glenn says something like we live in a me too times up this is us world <laughs> thinking about that but but i i mean i didn't watch this is us but i was thinking about it <laughs> you know can i admit that i think about that show often and i've watched i watched like half the pilot and was like this is not this is not me hmm. instead of this is yeah. us i would call it this is not for me this is not this us. is not <laughs> it was, i mean and that'll get in later to some of the stuff we're talking about but that show feels pretentious to me in different hmm. ways yeah but <laughs> but I do think about it sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Mostly I think about how like Mandy Moore has like reinvented herself as like an actress with that show, which I mean like she did acting before that, but like yeah. this is like, you know, kind of launched Mandy Moore into like a certain level of of stardom and being known as an actress that I don't think that she had before. Yeah. But I was thinking about how like you know, she started out like, um, like as you know, a musician, as a singer yeah. in the what late nineties, early two thousands, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And then, like, her music career was sabotaged by Ryan Adams, uh huh, who is also the person that Phoebe Bridgers wrote "Motion Sickness" about. And then yeah. I just started like being really angry at Ryan Adams. I mean, yeah, um, which you know is. <laughs> not a not a rare occurrence um yeah but yeah it's it's been it's been a week is yeah, what I'm yeah. Saying. <laughs> I read an interesting like a long time ago an interesting interview with Mandy Moore where she said you know someone asked her like well do you see yourself more as an actress or a singer and she said you know I was really into both of them and it was just like whatever was marketable at the time and singing mm. took off the most um, but I'm actually less confident as a singer. Like, mm, it was interesting. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> what else have I been watching? 
Oh, well, The Mandalorian, of course. Of I, course. That's another one that's going to go without saying. Um, yeah. I went to Comic-Con uh, on Sunday. How was it? And uh, it was fun. Yeah. Yay. Um, I think I already told you a little bit about it. You told but, me, yeah. but you didn't tell them. But I didn't tell the listeners. <laughs> Uh, yes, listeners, I went to Emerald City Comic Con and I attended a uh, Mandalorian cast panel. Fun. And during the Q&A, I asked Katie Sackhoff a question. <gasps> and I was like, so like, I was like, so feeling so like, proud of myself for Aww. having gotten my question out and sounded like semi-intelligent. Aww. That like, Every single word of her answer completely did not register in my head. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, I'm so nervous. Yeah. Oh, no, I but, can't hear yeah. what you're saying. because yeah, I can't nervous. hear what you're saying because I, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that one. But yeah, it was very fun. Yeah. Good. And then uh, last night, I watched a documentary called Deconstructing Karen that I think everybody should watch and especially like white white people but especially like white women in particular should watch this documentary so it's about these two women like started this business called race to dinner so it's two women of color um who they like have you know like a like a white woman who like invites several of her white women friends over to dinner and then they have like this very open honest conversation about race and white supremacy and how white women like what our role has been in upholding white supremacy and how to like dismantle that yeah very very like yeah so good um the two women whose whose business it is um they also wrote a book which I'm also listening to the audiobook of. Yeah. Um, that's called <laughs> appropriately, it's called White Woman, uh, by Regina Jackson and Syra Rao. So I was check that just out. adding that to my TBR yesterday. Yes. Check that out. The audiobook is great. Yeah. Um and yeah, and also watch the documentary. Like it's yeah. it's a little uncomfortable, but like in a good way, no, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I that's so interesting you say that because I really had just yesterday heard some. I think it was on NPR they were talking about it, hmm. and I added it to yeah. my little. Cue I think they there. were giving away uh, free copies of it for International Women's Day. <gasps> that's. So. I also saw that post. Okay. okay. Yeah. 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 So that's probably. I mean, I have a I have a paperback copy that I can loan you if you'd like. Um, Thank I also you. have an audiobook. I feel like that's one of those ones I'm just going to buy for my, like... Yeah. It feels important enough to have a copy. Yeah. Very, very good. Absolutely. And honestly, like, the... So, Regina Jackson and Syra Rao. So, Regina Jackson is a black woman. Syra Rao is uh, an Indian American woman. Um, Like, honestly, the fact that they put themselves into these situations... Yeah. Where they're surrounded by white women who are suddenly very emotional and very angry because they're being confronted with their own racism i'm like oh my goodness how do they do this yeah like (laughs) for their job i'm like yeah how do they make sure they're taking care of themselves after that you know yeah for sure yeah wow very important i think so important that yeah 
that like like I said like all white people but especially white women yeah. should really should watch this documentary and or read the book do both do both okay I don't know <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned it on this podcast or if I mentioned it in class but there was actually a study done at Columbia about white women's response to being confronted and all of the the myriad of responses that are the most common the the like instant crying and kind of wanting yeah. to be taken care of instead yeah. of sitting in the truth of the moment and uh, you know like having that honest conversation so just like logging all of the avoidant behaviors that specifically white women engage in um, and it was just like, we need to do better. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that's what I'm watching. Yeah. <laughs> Good. And reading and listening to. Yeah. Uh, well, and that kind of ties into a little bit of like what we're going to be talking about today. Absolutely. Which is interesting. This week, I was thinking a lot about that, like this idea of being of something being pretentious. Because I wanted to, as we look at something like The Green Knight now, like how it was critically received and how audience re- audiences received it versus how it would have been received um, when the story was originally being told and how different those two responses are. And it the the through line there is really this idea of like when something is deemed pretentious. So I just wanted to like name that first as I kind of get into mm. this because sometimes sometimes like judgy Aaron knows things can be freaking pretentious and <laughs> of course they can and they're some of my favorite things to mock but I also think sometimes when we don't understand something it can be a first response to call it pretentious mm-hmm. and I think from There's my... kind of an anti anti intellectualism in there. Yes, absolutely. The it reminds me of when Facebook was first starting, and people would write things in their bios like "I don't read," like, <laughs> but it was like a badge of honor. <laughs> like... Yeah, I mean, like I've I've like encountered people who pr- have proudly said that they have not read a book since high school. Totally. That's not a flex. <laughs> no, I've I've dated people where like a few months in there they said, "Oh, well, you're like a reader." Yeah. It's like uh uh-huh. <laughs> can can you tell me more about about how you're feeling right now? Like, yeah, you uh-huh. read books. Yep. Yep. I uh-huh. <laughs> you chose looks. I chose books. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Um, uh, yep. <laughs> so just kind of like how we get there and how this conversation kind of happened. Because, again, I am biased. I do love this movie. Like, I do think that it's really good. But mm-hmm. but there's kind of, as I was researching, I wanted to see how audiences were receiving it. And there, it's kind of divided. So half feel like oh this is a really cool representation of of the original text and Mm -hmm. it has all of the symbols it it like follows the four oh shoot what are they called the like yellow is bile uh oh like the four humors the four humors yeah the four humors are very present within it and those different like 
almost like fan nods like the same way that like an easter egg <laughs> yeah, exactly like the same way that like the marvel universe might give us uh-huh. easter eggs i think this movie has many like medieval literature um easter uh-huh. eggs. <laughs> it's like fan service for the for the medievalists <laughs> yeah it's like and i think that those are mostly from what i was reading those are the times when audiences who didn't like it were like well i didn't understand what that was and it didn't make any oh, you didn't sense get the reference. oh okay. you didn't get the reference so it's like but then not a true fan <laughs> but see but then it goes back on itself because then if i were to say you didn't get the reference i would be the pretentious one yeah so it's just yeah. like this fascinating <laughs> thing about human nature as we approach something like this um but I also was thinking a lot about, um, so I, I have like a few pull quotes from an interview that was done from the LA Times about this very thing oh, where, nice. again, very pretentious, where one critique. The LA Times? <laughs> see, I just, as I was writing this, I just felt like Jonah from Superstore, but that's kind of <laughs> where I am right now. Um, so like, um. I'll end with uh, like this this take that two LA Times literary critics had where one of them really liked it and one of them did not. But I did want to start with how audiences then um, would not have seen it as pretentious because mm-hmm. it would have felt more like the way we talk about um, the common tropes from from rom-coms and the way we mm. talk about common yeah. tropes in musical theater it was like pop culture back then yeah it basically. would have just been shorthand um it was like the big bang theory back then <laughs> exactly <laughs> um like at the time there was an expectation almost to reuse like kind of established source materials. Um, mm-hmm. This is all from, <laughs> this is from Cliff's notes, but it seemed <laughs> it was the most accurate of all, like everything else I was reading felt either really uninformed about audiences then, or like, again, really pretentious Cliff's notes mm. had the most like straightforward take I thought, but um, <laughs> yeah. So like, audiences then would have just seen all of the all of the humors all of um there aren't really all of the archetypal things Mm -hmm. all of kind of this idea of going on a quest um certainly all of the things you see with nature um the green knight is very founded in like natural beliefs of the time and mm-hmm. themes that would have the green knight is a Groot. Yes. Exactly. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Gawain is uh uh Star Lord, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no. I see it. No, no, no. He'd be more of like a he'd be more of like a Captain America kind of Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> he's just he's just a tri well Almost the same way next week we're going to talk about how this can be a little bit of a coming-of-age story and seeing it through that lens. Like, when I say that, audiences 
audiences that are listening to us right now know exactly what that is. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what uh, someone at the time would have, like, you would already have had your preconceived right. notion about. Like, oh, it's a quest story. Oh, okay, it's a quest story. It. It's Arthurian. Yeah. Cool. I know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, Which then those those things become what feels, you know, pretentious now, maybe. Um, hmm. So... There's a few different um, kind of good quotes um, quotes here um, that I'll go to from this LA Times article. Um, so, um, let me, sorry, let me just find it here. So this is in response to the idea that it's a little bit pretentious. Um, hmm. So it says, I know what, so the other, the person he's talking to is named Mark. That'll be important. But Oh, Mark. No, Mark. Um, I know what you mean, Mark, about certain movies that seem to hint ever so slowly and self-admiringly at artistic and philosophical depths that may not really be there. But for me, there seem to be mysteries tucked within mysteries in almost every frame of the film. And I found myself delighted rather than irritated by the fact that it seemed in no hurry to solve them. And this pull quote, I thought, really just pulled at everything that I was... um, all of the through lines I was seeing in like the the res- the negative response to this movie. So um, there's the there's the idea that <laughs> that this movie is kind of like patting itself on the back a little bit, um, which I don't really see at all. But there was a strong response that did say that that said, "Wow, this movie really thinks it's pretty cool, huh?" Um, <laughs> And I, I did think that was a very funny response. It's again, it's not something I really see. Um, but you know, I can, I can appreciate a converse um, opinion to my own. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I just liked the idea of like um, his response to that was that there were mysteries tucked into mysteries and maybe the point was to be a little bit um mysterious in general that you it wasn't gonna spoon feed it to you you know mm-hmm. right which i know is something that you and i have applauded in other movies <laughs> before yes. that we got to think a little bit we didn't uh-huh. have to just like okay obviously like i heard you the first time when you said this yeah um, which is something, again, I think that's a big divide. It's something that I know you and I really like, and some people might not um, like it as much. Um, and then I also really liked just this um, found myself delighted rather than irritated by the fact that it mm-hmm. seemed in no hurry to solve them. Because yeah. that's another thing that we talked about in the car ride home um, when we saw this was that, <laughs> like, and we talked about this in our episode last week as well about how 
this movie in the same way that a quest would really feel like it had no end and it would really feel mm-hmm. slow and laborious. This movie sits in that. And I think, again, some people really enjoy that and find that intriguing. And like, I, I pretentiously think that that's really mm-hmm. cool that it reflects how a quest would have actually felt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can understand if you saw, without any of this context, if you saw like an ad for the Green Knight, you would expect it to be maybe a fast-paced action, and it's just, yeah. it's just not that. Um, right. Well, and it's like, I mean, like the iconography of like medieval knights who have armor and swords, like yeah. that's just come to mean a certain thing in are in our media totally like if you see that that means that there's going to be action there's going to be fighting there's going to be yeah 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 he's not (laughs) yeah 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 but i do uh, yeah it's it's interesting to uh, yeah because like i i agree like i I really enjoy when things are not spoon fed to us as the audience, like, and like, and not even just that, like, that, like things aren't explained overtly, but like, sometimes there is really no explanation for something in this movie in particular. Totally. And like, I, I think it's, I think that that's really reflective of life, right? That like yeah. sometimes things happen in life that like there's no logical explanation for it. Absolutely. And you just kind of have to accept it. And so I think it's so interesting when when people have a critique of a movie or a piece of media that basically their critique is like this thing was never explained. Yeah. What's the explanation? And and I'm like, well, there like there yeah. isn't one. Why do you why do you need to have an explanation for it? I don't know. It's so interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Like especially when such a big through line is in this movie is nature and the impact of nature mm-hmm. and how much humans don't know about nature. Leaving mysteries is actually I think really important to it because there's so much about nature that we don't understand, you know? Yeah. Or say that we do and we don't. Yeah, so that's just yes. <laughs> that's how I beat Shaq. That's what that's I was, <laughs> that's how what I was thinking about this week. That's how I beat Shaq. What what is that from? I've never heard that. You've ever. never. That's no. What is that? That's a horrible, horrible, cringy Aaron Carter song from when he was like thirteen. <gasps> oh no! About how he had a um, he had a a like dream or something where he was playing basketball with Shaquille O'Neal and he won. Oh. And and he beat Shaq. <laughs> but no, Aaron Carter, you did not. <laughs> but it happened in a dream. It did. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Wow. It's not very often that you make a pop culture reference that I don't get. Usually it's the other way around. Well, see, I have the <laughs> early 2000s, like, actually, would, you know, offensive market. Um, uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
I just, the early 2000s fascinate <laughs> me now because there's so many little things like that that feel really offensive today that I'm uh-huh. just like, oh, that was, <laughs> that was offensive and probably shouldn't have been. Oh, goodness. <laughs> like a song by like, like a white 13 year old boy. Did we really do oh. that? Is that really? Oh, no. It's just something that's on my mind a lot about how problematic uh, the 2000s w- were. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, the the Green Knight. So, so the Green Knight. <laughs> the Green Knight. Um, so, I mean, something else that I really appreciated about the movie, and you and I have also talked about this, um, is like it's the its use of color and symbolism uh-huh. yeah and like a lot of that symbolism and a lot of like the col- the you know the use of color also kind of goes back to its source material and yeah. how how color would have been seen in in medieval uh literature in medieval um culture um and also like i mean there, there was symbolism everywhere, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, really, like, there's symbolism everywhere now. But, uh-huh. like, there were, like, very particular symbols and icons that, like, everyone knew what they meant. because Usually because, like, they were associated with, like, the church. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, you know, some other, uh, you know, maybe, maybe like, um, like, uh, pagan religions uh-huh. um, kind of had their own symbols that like everybody knew what they meant, even though they were technically supposed to, you know, supposed to be Christian, but they, you know, they, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's really interesting that the movie um, brought through uh, like this use of color and this symbolism. Um, and uh, I found this really interesting article. So I, um, I kind of wanted to look into like how you know like the first of all the choice to cast Dave Patel who is an Indian man in the role of this medieval knight who you know traditionally and like in most other past media has been portrayed by white actors yeah um so I wanted to look at that choice um like on its own and how that affects the story um, but then also kind of broaden it out to um, to the presence of non-white people in medieval Britain and yeah. and the presence of non-white people in fantasy media. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's like a huge topic and obviously we're not going to like thoroughly discuss it right now. Um, <laughs> but uh, I just had like a few... Um, a few points that um, that I kind of wanted to explore a little bit, and then we'll um, I'll link um, all of the articles that that I'm uh, that I found in my research in our notes. So, you know, listeners, you can go read these and explore some more. Um, but it, I did find a, a lot of like really interesting uh, material. I think because like not just with the Green Knight, but in like a few other very prominent works of fantasy media recently, we've had like discussions of race going on with those. Um, so within the green Knight itself. So this is, uh, this is from an article in Polygon. Um, so, uh, this article talks about how, 
you know, there's, um, there's all this exploration of color and the symbolism of color, um, the use of green and red in the movie is like so striking and prominent. Um, but as this article points out, the color of people's skin is never like overtly remarked upon in the film. Um, but this argues that even without that like overt message, the casting choice does heavily shape um, the story of, you know, this like medieval chivalric epic story. Um, so and it, like from both like a medieval perspective and from a modern perspective, um, the race of the actors in this movie is significant right yeah um so uh so this article like i mentioned um it comments on how like most previous um i think probably all previous um actors who have portrayed gawain on film have been white and then this article points out um like iterations of the character in previous media have always um, like made Gawain a, a different character than the Gawain that we see in the Green Knight film. Sure. Um. So, uh. So this says previous film Gawains have hewn much closer to the character's traditional position in the early chivalric romances as one of the purest and most honorable of Arthur's knights. Patel is novel, not just as the first silver screen Gawain to be a man of color, but the first to be kind of a fuck up, <laughs> um, titleless and spending his days in the tavern or brothel rather than on the battlefield. He stands out in Arthur's pale court, ranging around its fringes as a fly in the Christmas pudding, even, or perhaps especially, when King Arthur calls Gawain to his side, offering him Lancelot's conspicuously empty seat. Lowry, the director, may have cast Patel primarily for how cool he would look on a horse, <laughs> which is not inconsiderable, um, <laughs> but intentionally or otherwise, putting a man of color into this role emphasizes Lowry's characterization of Gawain as an outsider, which I thought that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, So this goes on to say, um, commenting on, like, Arthurian legend and Arthuriana, like, in general, as, you know, what's traditionally been seen as a very white space, right? Yeah. Um, So it comments on, it seems hardly a coincidence that Arthuriana enjoyed its biggest revival in the 19th century, the era of Alfred Lord Tennyson and John William Waterhouse, as well as Great Britain's imperial century and the establishment of the british raj so british imperialism in india um you know it has like direct ties to the popularity of arthurian legend yeah in in british culture uh which i think is such an interesting connection to make um absolutely uh um and then like commenting a little bit more on the casting of Patel and on the casting of um, uh, Sarita Chaudhry, who plays his mother in the film. Um, So historical context inevitably makes the casting inherently political, even if the actor's racial identities are never explored or discussed. 
The ties between Arthur's empire and the one which colonized India and much of the global south make it particularly significant that actors of Indian descent, Patel and Sarita Chaudhary as his mother, are present in Camelot. Yeah. Their outsider status adds the familiar sting of assimilation to, to Gawain's palpable need to prove himself to his white uncle king and comrades with a suitable act of greatness, yeah. i.e. violence. He must prove to them and to a contemporary audience, which is, that's an interesting point to point out too, that he is less out of place than he appears. When the Green Knight, a presence even more foreign and strangely colored, arrives, Gawain leaps up to deliver the killing blow with the desperation of a man who knows he cannot belong unless he kills what belongs even less than he does. Like. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is so good. Everybody go read this article. Um yeah, that's that's something that I, you know, those are conclusions I never could have, you know, come up with on my own. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, like the that connection to like the British colonization of India, I think is such an important like for the for this for the context of this particular movie and these particular casting choices. I think that's so so significant to point yeah. out. Um yeah. So, you know, I don't really have anything else to say about that. Like, just go read it. No, um, <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like in awe. I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, like, kind of broadening this out to, like, um, explorations of, like, the presence of non-white people in medieval Europe, um, as well as, like non-white people in in fantasy fiction um there's um i i meant i think i mentioned last week there's a uh a creator um on tumblr and twitter though they haven't posted um anything like within a, the past couple of years um that's um medieval ooh, excuse me ooh. sorry i just had a burp um <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's called um, Medieval POC, and it's just, like, scholarship about just the existence of Black and brown people in Medieval Europe. Um, some really great scholarship. Um, and so this is, like, a really interesting um, uh, interview that I found with them um, from, like, several years ago. Uh, but I think there's, like, some good stuff in here. Um, so like they were interviewed by, um, I don't remember what publication this was in. Let me look at it really quick. Um, Pacific Standard. <laughs> um, and it's uh, also important to uh, point out that like the, um, this creator medieval POC has, has never like revealed, you know, like their quote unquote real identity. So, um, so like, and you know, I'm just gonna, yeah, like, to, you know, honor that. Um, so they were asked about, um, you know, kind of how they started this process of like posting about and publicizing just the mere presence of, of people of color in medieval Europe and how that makes some white people really angry. Right. Interesting. 
Um, so, uh, so in this interview, um, they said, um, uh, like they're talking about like, you know, comments that they've gotten. Um, they said, this was one of those white supremacists saying everyone in Europe was white. And I know because I love Vikings. (laughs) So I started going online to refute these arguments specifically with those white middle ages. I love Tolkien. Stay away from my elves. You're not allowed to be in my white fantasy history. Yeah. Um, These online conversations seem to be helping friends who until that point really thought that what white supremacists were saying was true because no one had ever told them any different. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting i don't know that they ever get into it in this article but it's interesting that like this idea of like an all-white medieval europe came about in like the late 19th century like that was like purposely yeah like yep. propagated by writers and like cultural influencers in the late 19th century yeah. because of white supremacy. Like they basically whitewashed the past. Of course. To. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so um, this goes on. Um, uh, no one had ever told them any different. There were letters and documentation of the black British, but they didn't know any of that. So I asked, what if I started a blog with just posts like this? Yeah. Um they go on to talk about, um, so they, uh, worked in academia, but in the capacity of like disability services. Uh So they were working on, you know, visual and like auditory materials, um, for, um, for, you know, those with disabilities in academia. Um, so they go on to say, I was noticing a lot of information that was just wrong. Yeah. They had cropped pictures of painting so that the people of color were removed. Um, they thought there are black people in that painting. I know there are. There's an Indian guy in that painting. So where is he? Not only that, but what professors decided to skip They would call and say, oh, don't worry. We're going to skip that chapter on how everything affected the rest of the world. Oh, we were going to skip that chapter on Africa, on Southeast Asia. (laughs) What? Um, It really amazes me how people who hold white supremacist views are allowed to believe that those are value-neutral perspectives. Right. Because that's just, quote, how it is. You've been taught to devalue people of color, both socially and aesthetically. And then there's a type of image that you've been taught to overvalue because of its style or origin. You overvalue this method of presenting things with a figure of a person that you devalue. Seeing them together will either create a conflict or resolve a conflict, depending on who you are. Um, Yeah, it's so, so interesting. Uh, I mean interesting is such a tame word for what it is um sure that people you know have such uh, such a devotion to this lie of an all-white medieval europe yeah it's yeah i mean we know why we know why people have that devotion but you know and it's yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's just so important to like as often as possible to be like you've just done to be highlighting those moments of no, this was a choice. These things were mm-hmm. cut out of this. 
Yeah. Um, this was a like concerted effort. <laughs> yeah. Because people do say, well, that's just, I don't, that's just how it was. No. No, it wasn't. Yeah. Of course it wasn't. Um, yeah. Um, and then just like kind of building on that, um, I think, you know, when we have, like, we have discussions about like really popular fantasy media yeah. that is, you know, in some way inspired by or influenced by medievalism. And, um, and like, we, you know, until very, very recently, those types of media were also very whitewashed yeah. because of the idea that persisted of an all-white medieval Europe. That, like, you know, it, the argument was that, well, you know, this is representing, um, like, the real world, like, medieval Europe. So, of course, like, it's this fantasy world is, like, all white people, right? Right. Um, yeah, which, like, <laughs> even if it were true that, you know, there were no people of color in medieval Europe, still, it's a fantasy world. So, like... Exactly. You, it's not real. <laughs> so you can't anyway. say this is true. No. <laughs> right, yeah. Um. But, yeah, so I did, Uh. like I mentioned, like, we we've had, like some kind of broader, like, cultural conversations around, like, you know, non-white people being cast in these big fantasy media pieces, Um, most recently and specifically in House of the Dragon and in Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Uh Um, So... Yeah, I I wanted to look a little bit more at that as well because I do feel like this ties into um maybe like less directly but it ties into how like the film The Green Knight is affected by the race of its actors as well. Um so <laughs> so uh this article in Harper's Bazaar kind of explores like those two shows that I mentioned specifically and the idea of like the mythical whiteness of medieval Europe. Um, so this, this says that uh, fantasy, some fans argue um, adaptations should remain faithful to the source material and cast white actors, not retcon a diverse cast to suit the current political climate. This, however, is an ahistorical assertion that's, such a i i want to use that as like an insult as absolutely <laughs> yeah a um, historical that's a historical <laughs> that is a historical an a historical a hole exactly um, <laughs> over and over studies have produced strong evidence that europe has never been homogeneously white yeah. but instead one of the most racially diverse continents in antiquity The House of the Dragon and the Rings of Power are just the latest of many shows targeted by online fandoms demanding the removal of Black people from their vision of the European world. Fantasy has become the site of a much deeper stronghold of white supremacy, our collective racial and historical imaginaries. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, I was watching... um, uh, oh, I don't remember the creator's name, but I was watching, there's a video on TikTok that was about how, like, 
fantasy media has sort of become like the last, like the last bit of like escapism, like quote unquote escapism for like, you know, people with kind of white supremacist yeah. ideologies. Totally. Um, where like we've seen, you know, in in media that takes place like in our world and contemporary set uh, settings, um, like we've started to see a little bit more like racial and ethnic diversity in casting. Probably still not enough, yeah. but we've started to see more of it in recent years. Um, and and so like you know, people realize that, like, they can't complain about that because that reflects the real world. So we can complain about the fantasy world that's supposed to be, like, their escape, yeah, quote unquote, (laughs) from having to be faced with the reality that people of color exist, (laughs) which, yeah. Um, Yeah, this escape from, like... It's like the embodiment of the privilege to forget about racism. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But as this article goes on to point out, (laughs) but fantasy has always been about race. Medieval fantasy is not history, but a reproduction of history and its metaphors. The West cannot tell itself about itself without the inclusion of race. As a European invention emerging from colonialism and the transatlantic slave trade, race is the story of Europe's encounter with difference and the West's primary way of organizing the world. Racial hierarchies of our world get translated into fantasy races that reflect the measure of one's humanity. Race is the dominant social system in the Lord of the Rings Middle-earth. And as the blueprint for high fantasy literature, its racial allegories are reproduced across the genre. In fantasy book series, role-playing games, and films written in its tradition, race is the social hierarchy and source of conflict. In Game of Thrones Westeros, race is more of a political geography. It's even the first decision, race, gender, class, a player must make in creating a character for any campaign in Dungeons & Dragons. Right. In fantasy, race is not just part of the world building. It is the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll <laughs> one more really long this article. <laughs> yes, you do. I will link it. One more really long quote from this. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> and then we can, no, then we can wrap this up. Um, so as a product of the post-colonial imagination, writing blackness into fantasy signals a radical expansion pointed more toward the horizon of justice. As the visual culture of fantasy evolves, Game of Thrones and the Rings of Power are reproductions of our present world as much as they are of our past. What makes these shows different is how their allegories allow Western history to be radically reconceived in the discursive and imaginative spaces of the fantastic. Imaginaries are powerful, primal repositories of collective feeling, Imagining elves and hobbits and dragon riders and royalty as black and indigenous does much more than diversify television or demonstrate, quote unquote, woke politics. Fantasy operates in the space of the imaginary, and unlike any other genre, it draws from history in order to reimagine a collective past, one that transcends our existing histories in order to make a more just world possible. That's a really long quote. But I'm going to need to read really good. this. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, you should read this. This one was from Harper's Bazaar. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and this author is Vanessa Angelica Villarreal. Uh, so, yes, we will link that for you. I also mentioned this book. I didn't... Um, I didn't have, like, a lot uh, of things planned to say about this book, um, Swordstone Table. That, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a book of short stories that are, like, reimaginings of Arthurian legends. Yeah. Um, so go check that out, too. Yeah. <laughs> I just keep coming back to the statement that the very first decision you make in D&D is to select race. And is so the race. Yeah. It is inherent to the gameplay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. And and it, like what's so I don't know. I think what's interesting about that idea is that like like your like at least like human races, right? Like ra- like races that human beings belong to. Like that's very much like a social construct. Huh. But also has like very real implications on how you experience the world. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, there's a lot there. Like, I want to say that like it, like in Dungeons and Dragons, the race that your character is, is like a neutral thing. Right. Like, yeah. Or it should be. Yeah. I don't know. No, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> It's not, yeah. Yeah. But it's, yeah. It's just, you know. There's a lot to think about here. (laughs) It's just proving once again that structural racism is in everything. It's in the media that we consume. It's in actually everything has been purposefully created. Yes. Yeah. And not just like racism, but like racial essentialism uh-huh right yeah like not just like discrimination based on race but like actually creating a structure yeah. of race to justify racism right uh, absolutely yeah. yeah yeah anyway and then is... <laughs> and then we get people who say why is this a conversation in my fantasy world and you're like yeah actually yeah. How it, <laughs> how much time do you have? Because that's deeply right. <laughs> problematic on so many levels. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We just solved everything, right? We just, we just completely solved, solved it. All. Solved. Yeah. yeah. No, we didn't. Um, <laughs> no. But please, I mean, like, in all seriousness, like, please listeners please go like do some research do some work do some reading yourself on on these like yeah like we're not experts so no (laughs) so please learn uh learn from people who are experts we're just two people trying to do the work consistently to work towards anti-racism yeah 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 and if we can do that while, you know, enjoying fantasy stories, then... Then, you know, great. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. <laughs> uh, well... 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 Well, well, well. Aaron? Yeah? Are you going to watch the Oscars tomorrow? No. 
Ah, are you? Yeah, I. I saw your funny post. Yeah, I kind of. So, like every year, I go through this thing where I'm like, awards do not matter. They're completely meaningless. They're all just like popularity contests or like who who yeah um but then also at the same time like I'll see like uh, like if Michelle Yeoh does not win best actress like yeah I'm gonna burn this shit to the ground totally (laughs) I'm fascinated by them but I like to like I like to look at all the pictures right after it all happens yeah (laughs) I like watching the red carpet yeah like well, like, yeah, I find that fascinating. It's, com- it's like weirdly comforting, but in- it is. But also just thinking about how strange it is, uh-huh. like as a practice. Mm-hmm. What? Like the like red carpet as a practice? Yeah, or just like, this... yeah. That's super. It's super weird. It's very straight. Like I feel like we could have a whole podcast episode just on like. Where celebrity th- culture yeah and like yeah. Mm-hmm. this notion that we wanted royalty so we made them so like, we made them. <laughs> it's just like they're just people it's who so go to work weird. yeah they're just people who go to work and play characters but we have decided that they are like we need parasocial relationships yeah and, well and that's gonna yeah. be a whole thing as twitch continues like it's just oh Oh my and just thinking about like yeah I'm just fascinated <laughs> with with this whole we created royalty idea uh-huh. but yeah I was just listening to I was actually re-listening to an episode of you're wrong about uh-huh. of, um about um the Tom Cruise jumping on Oprah's couch <laughs> thing <laughs> so it's so fascinating and i'm like why did we do this yeah to our culture like what are we it's yeah it makes me we could do we really could do a whole other podcast about like like weird celebrity culture things yeah we could even like add it as a segment because like oh we could because it's in pretty much anything. Like, I'm thinking about that episode, or not episode, it's a movie. That moment in, um... When a date with Tad Hamilton? Well, oh my gosh, yeah. But <laughs> in that movie, Knocked Up, which is, like, oh, uh... really weird and problematic. But there's one moment where Ryan Seacrest said they're like doing e-news or whatever and Ryan Seacrest says we're gonna have Jessica Simpson on later are we gonna ask her her political views and what we should do in like this political event and I think that like while that movie as a whole is pretty gosh darn problematic that Mm -hmm. statement that why are we interviewing a singer about yeah like political events Uh uh-huh yeah. Always sticks out to me. But yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. She's not an I ambassador. Have not about, I haven't thought about Knocked Up oh. in years. I loved That's... it as a kid. Uh, and no, 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 no. Yeah. No, 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 no,
been a most interesting it conversation. Has. I liked it. I <laughs> I I loved it. I I really enjoy just like having an hour long nerdy conversation with my friend Aaron every week. Yeah. Same to you, my good pal Rhonda. And if people listen to it, great. If not, so well, what? Like, yeah. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, it's all good. Um, yeah, so oh next week we have a special guest. We do. So make sure you come back for that. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram. Yeah. I guess if you want to. If if you want yeah. <laughs> if you want to. Erin's gotta get her stuff together and start posting more. Yeah. Gotta yeah. get on it. We'll do it. Yeah. Um, yes. And and happy women's history month. Happy women's history month. We didn't say that last time. That's okay. No. We'll say it this time. Happy women's history month. Okay. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Bye.